Dr. Horton. Um, my name is Justin, and I am filling in. Um, I'm a student at Westminster, uh, so hopefully I know a little bit of what I'm doing. But no, I, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to delve into the doctrine of God with you uh, this morning. Uh, let's, let's, let's begin with some prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather with your people today and to hear your word proclaimed, we who are so quick to forget and slow to remember. I pray that you would continue to be with us in seeking to understand something of who you are, you who are creator and we who are creature. And I pray that you would make this time beneficial to us, that we would adore you more, all the more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To start... Um, all of you should have a, salt, a Trinity Psalter near or in front of you. If I can have you guys turn to Belgic Confession, Article 1, which is on page 855 of the Trinity Psalter. If you're in the Forms and Prayers book, I can't help you because that's not what I'm looking at it through. Um, so, page 855 of the Trinity Psalter, Article 1 of the Belgic Confession, one of our three forms of unity. We all believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God, eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. And then, you don't need to turn there, but I'll also read Westminster Confession, chapter 2, section 1. If you want to turn there, it's page 921 of the Trinity Psalter. There is but only one living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, and I'll, I'll stop there for the sake of time. This is the God we confess. It's Article 1 of the Belgic Confession. Um, today, I want to kind of uh, expand the chasm, if you will, of what it means that God is God and we are creature. Um, we know that God is knowable. We heard God's word proclaimed today so clearly. Um, we know who he is. We know what he's like. But I want to show you or demonstrate to you God as he is. We cannot comprehend him. Um, and I'd like to begin with uh, the creator-creature distinction. What does that mean? God is not just a greater version of us. Think like the Greek gods. They're just um, projecting human virtue onto a greater, more powerful being. That's not who God is. God is qualitatively different from us. We're not even on the same level. If you want to make an analogy, think like if an ant tried to contemplate what humanity is. There's no comparison because we're different, we're different beings. Even more so the creator and the creature. So there's a qualitative difference. God is God and we are not. We are like God in some ways because we're made in his image and likeness. So in some ways we Show, show forth attributes of God, communicable attributes like love and mercy and grace, yada, yada, yada. There's so many. But God is not like us. 
So there's that difference. But then there's also the ethical difference. We as fallen creatures who have broken, Adam broke the covenant of works. We are now, as Pastor Bill talked about, we are slaves of Satan, sin, and death. So that's another barrier apart from the creator-creature distinction. So in that regard, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness in our sin. Um, because though, though God has revealed himself, we suppress that truth apart from him. Another thing I'd like to, for us to consider is the insufficiency of our language, even. Um, just think of, of love, for example. When we talk about loving people or things, it's like, I love God, I love my wife, I love my family, I love my dog. Oh, man, I love that show. Such different measures and degrees of love. And yet God's love is not like our love because in our love, we see something that's pleasing to us and we set our love on it and we're drawn to it. That's not God's love. Um, I think that... Martin Luther, in his Heidelberg Disputation, describes it well when God sets his love on his creatures. The love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. The love of man comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. And we know this to be true. God set his love on us and redeemed us. He didn't see something intrinsic in us that's like, oh man, like I really want to save, I want, really want to save Justin because there's something about him. No. I don't know why he saved any of us. It's not anything in us that he did it. For the, that's not the reason he did it. He did it because he set his love on us. So there's, there's our, our terminology is completely different when we apply it to God versus what, when we apply it to the way we are. Um. Even, this is kind of getting in the nitty-gritty, but even our, our, the way we talk can't describe God, truly. It, it, or it can't describe him comprehensively. It can describe him truly, but not comprehensively. So, for example, just our, our most basic sentences are subject, verb, and predicate. There's no distinction in God. So we can't even talk about God the way we need to express ourselves in human language. Um, Even the theological terminology we use, we can't fully comprehend. Take uh, eternality, God being eternal. We have nothing in creation to fathom what that means. Usually when we think, if you ask, if you ask a, a kid, what, what does it mean to be eternal? It's like, well, it's a, it means it's a really, 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 really old thing. Or it's a really, really, really long time. But that's not what eternity is. Eternity is timelessness. It is beyond time. So we could, I could say that. I can't comprehend it. So... Is it a fool's errand for me even to try and describe the incomprehensible God? Because what, is, what does Paul say at the end of Romans 11? He bursts into, doxo- into his doxology and says, who, who, 
what we sing in uh, um, number 226 in the Trinity Psalter, the, oh, the great unbounding, oh, the deep unbounding riches. The depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Who can, who can plumb that? Who can find the depth of that? No one. So is it a fool's errand? Um, it's not, but let's keep going. I'm going to show you even more so why God's incomprehensible. Um, we start with God is one. In the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, now what I'm talking about is on the paper, if you want to refer to that. Um, I'm not going to get into all the verses because we don't have time, but I would encourage you to consider those in your maybe in your quiet times or just to kind of better understand what we're talking about after this. But for God to be one not only means that he is the one true God, God the Father, Son, Spirit is the one true God and there is no other, but that God is one. There is not Father plus Son plus Spirit equals God. It's there is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That is one God. And then we get into divine simplicity, doesn't mean that God is easy to understand. It's the complete opposite. Um, it means that God is not made up of anything. He's not composed of parts. So just think about, think about us, for example. I, Justin, as a human being, I'm comprised of body and soul. My body is comprised of body parts. My body parts are comprised of cells, which are comprised of molecules, which are comprised of atoms, which are comprised of electrons, neutrons, and protons. And then you get even lower than that into quarks and whatever other theoretical small, smallest particle there is. I'm, I'm made of parts. And God fashioned me and made me into what I am with those parts. Um, I didn't spring out of existence or spring into existence on my own. God made me. God is not composed of parts. God is spirit. There is nothing in, this is the way I've heard it before. Maybe it'll help, maybe it won't, but we'll see. There is nothing in God that is not God, making God to be God. God just is. Again, God is not Father plus Son plus Spirit equals the divine essence of God, God as he is. Nor is God the, a, the summation of all of his attributes or perfections. God just is. That's why that, our, our structure of language doesn't help us, because God just is. He does not, he's not, it's not like I'm a human and I'm loving, but God is love. Um... I am a human being, and I can show mercy, but God is mercy. It's, it's something we can't comprehend. It really, it really isn't something we comprehend. And yet we confess it in our Belgic Confession. Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters confess it in the Westminster Confession of Faith. In fact, the whole of the, whole of the Christian tradition has confessed this. Irenaeus talks about God being simple in, in the mid-second mid century. Um, Augustine, Aquinas, all of the Reformed theologians that 
upon whom we uh, borrow so much in our, in our theology. This is, this is just the Christian faith. God is simple. God is not composed of parts. And it's something we can't comprehend because we, we can't compare anything in creation to it. There's nothing in creation that's not composed of parts. But maybe you're thinking, well, what about angels? They're spirits. What about our soul? It's not made of material. Is that, is that not simple? Well, it's simple in a way. It's not composed of physical parts. But it came into being by God's action. God made the angels. God made our soul, each of our souls. Whereas, whereas God did not come into being, God just is to be God is to exist. Um, and I mean, I won't, I won't get into all of these. I don't, well, yeah, let's do it. Um, aseity, what that means is that God is self-sufficient. He doesn't depend on anything, anyone for anything. No one can give to God as though he owed him anything. So if I gave... If I gave T. Michael $5, I would have a deficit of $5, and he would have gained $5. But when God gives to us, he loses nothing, because all is his. Um, when, we, when we serve God and worship God, we're not benefiting him. He's not, he's not better off because of our serving him. We do it because we want to please him, but we don't, we don't benefit him. He's God. So, again, is this a fool's errand? <laughs> How can we know this God? How can we know this God who cannot change, who is immutable, who is infinite, who is beyond bounds? And there we start getting into God is omnipotent, that he's all-powerful, he is omnipresent, he is everywhere present, he is omniscient, that he, he is all-knowing. Uh, we can't tell him anything that he doesn't know. He knows the secrets of our hearts. We can't flee anywhere to get away from him. We can't do anything to thwart his plans. There is nothing in creation like God. So how can we comprehend him? Well, praise be to God, he has revealed himself to us. We can't, we can't cross that giant chasm to the, of the creator-creature distinction to try and understand who he is he does it. He reveals himself to us. And how does he do that? Well, he does it in creation. He does it in creation by his general revelation. If you would turn with me real quick to Romans 1 verse 20 or listen. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So though God is incomprehensible, we can perceive his divine attributes. We can perceive something of what he is. He hasn't left us in the dark. We may not comprehend who he is, but we can know who he is, what he's like.
That's where you kind of get into the univocal versus analogical language. Univocal means that, again, like, as though God's love is the same as my love. My love is like God's love, but it is not God's love. In the same way, we can understand something of who he is through what he's created, but I cannot comprehend him as he is, Father, Son, Spirit. I can't fathom that. I can't fathom the Trinity. God is one, yet God is three persons or subsistences. I can't, I can't comprehend that, but I confess it because I know it's true because he's revealed it to us. And he's also revealed himself in creation by the law. We have always been in covenant with God. He he has been in covenant with us since he created us and established the covenant of works. We have always had the law of God written on our hearts. And whether uh, whether we suppress it in unrighteousness or we tweak it in our own ways, it's there. We know that God is just. We know that he's holy. We could see that because there is a standard. Even if we can't comprehend the standard, there is a standard, and that's who God is. But that doesn't help our ethical dilemma. That doesn't solve our sin issue, that we suppress the truth and unrighteousness, that we, are no, that we were no longer in right relationship with God after the fall. So then he reveals himself in another way. Through his covenant promises, think the covenant of grace, tracing that through the Old and New Testaments. And not only his promises, but how he's acted on behalf of his people throughout redemptive history. God clearly revealed himself to the Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness. Manna from heaven. And yet they still grumbled. We want meat. We don't want bread. We don't want this bread, this magical bread from heaven that we're given that you give to us every day. We want meat. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. And yet that's that's what we are. That's what we are, apart from God's saving work. He clearly reveals himself, but yet we suppress it in unrighteousness. And we have the benefit of the scriptures in that everything that God has done has been recorded and revealed to us in the scriptures so that we don't need to have been there in person to know that who he is and what he's done. And yet the fullest, the most grand revelation of who God is in revealing who he is is in the incarnation of his son. How is Jesus fully human and fully man, truly human, truly man, or I'm sorry, truly God, truly man, truly God and truly man. How can the incomprehensible God who cannot change take on human nature? He does. I don't know how he does it, but I don't know very much anyway. (laughs) Um, And the reason he's revealed himself so fully to us in his son is to save us. As Pastor Bill was preaching earlier, to pay the ransom of us slaves who are slaves to Satan, sin, and death. He has redeemed us. Uh, In my class with uh, Dr. Horton, uh, maybe a week or so ago, he was talking about how 
Scripture isn't the primary um, reason that God gave us the scriptures is not to give us a doctrine of God. It's to it's for our redemption. It's to show his redeeming work. And yet in that redeeming work throughout redemptive history, he has revealed himself truly to us. Um, that's a lot. I know that's a lot. Um, but I, I want, one of the reasons I wanted to present this to you is because there are, there, are some, there are some traditions in the Christian faith, say, Eastern Orthodoxy, who see that God is incomprehensible. He is ineffable. We can't even say anything about him. But rather than primarily turning to, well, he's given us his word. He's given us his son. They turn to mysticism. They turn to a, a mystical experience to know something of God. And yet... Yet he's revealed himself in history, in his word, in his word preached, in the sacraments, our visible word, and most fully in Jesus, whom all of those point to. So that's part of the reason um, that I wanted to present this to you today. Um, do you guys have any questions? Um, need me to elaborate anything, uh, challenge me, that's fine. If you, if you want to challenge me, that's fine. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an intern yet. Um, I'm willing to be corrected. <laughs> I would, I would assume so. Cause, so. So think about this. If Adam had not, I mean, this is all hypothetical. If Adam had not broken the covenant of works in the garden, would we have known God as redeemer? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, God is what he is. He doesn't become redeemer because Adam sinned and then he, he chose to redeem. God is what he is all the time. So... I honestly don't know if there's if there's different things about God that we don't know, or if He's revealed Himself truly but not comprehensively. Like we don't know the depth of everything that Scripture talks about. But I think another thing that we can consider is Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, that the secret things are of the Lord, and those revealed are for us and for our children forever. So what we what God has revealed to us is sufficient. Um, I don't need to know God comprehensively, one, because I'm a creature and I can't, but two, but because it's enough. He uses the means of his revealed word. Yeah, I hope, I hope that helps. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so... Um, I got you. I got you. Um, the difference between God's communicable and incommunicable attributes. So God, so these aren't all of God's incommunicable attributes. God is creator. God is the eternal creator. Um, no, 
no creature can be creator in that way, out of nothing. Um, But all of these, and a couple more that I didn't have time for, are perfections or attributes of God that God is alone. Where the communicable attributes of God are those that we reflect in some lesser way as a creature's by, na- by virtue of us being made in God's image and likeness. Because um, be- though God's incomprehensible, that doesn't mean that image and likeness language is empty. There, there is something, something of us, or something of God that he's reflecting in us and through us, but in a creaturely way. So again, think, think the love of God versus human love. Um, think... God is righteous versus we can we can be righteous in some to some degree. Um, apart from Christ, not in God's sight, but a relative human righteousness. Um, yeah, does, does that does that help? Oh, where I stopped? After yeah. I stopped, okay. <laughs> passions, no, oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, in terms of passions, that's another one I didn't write. Um, there it is. Let's see. That would be God's impassibility. which is kind of connected to immutability, which is that God does not change. Impassibility is that God is not affected by us. So take, take just as a pithy example, someone cuts me off on the freeway, it's going to affect me. I'm not going to be happy about it. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have like a, a, a rush of emotion of like, what would you do that for, man? Maybe not, in that, not kindly, but <laughs> something like that. Where when we, where when we, when we, act, if we do well, that doesn't stir up like, oh man, like my creatures are doing really well. Or if we sin against God, God isn't like, doesn't throw a temper tantrum and he's like quick to anger, like, oh man, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like that though. God is not affected by us emotionally. That's, that's more where, where that goes. And passibility is about God not being affected by us emotionally. And yet there's language about emotion throughout Scripture. That his nost- the flaring of his nostrils as in his anger. Um, that he rejoices in us. But that, that, that's another thing I didn't, I didn't mention, but I guess I can now, is uh, Scripture uses, in order to um, reveal truths to us analogously about God, there are two main ways that it's done. It's through anthropomorphism and anthropopathism. Anthropomorphism is attributing human characteristics usually bodily characteristics onto God. So when it talks about God's right hand, that um, his enemies will be under his feet, that he sits on a throne, God doesn't have a body. 
God is spirit. And I'm not talking about the incarnate son right now. I'm talking about God, God in his essence, does not have a body. Yet those physical attributions in scripture communicate something to us. That God is all-powerful. His right hand, he is all-powerful. That he sits on a throne, that he is sovereign, that he is, he is Lord over all. It communicates something in a non-literal way. Um, and then anthropopathism would be attributing to God human emotion it, for the same reason, to communicate something true of God, but in a non-literal way. Uh, why does Scripture do that? Scripture does that because... No, I'm just, just so people can hear, that's all. Um, people do that, or Scripture does that because we cannot comprehend God as he is. Um, I mean, some, some higher critics would probably argue that it's because humans are creating a religion and they're attributing, they're creating a God, and what do they, what do they know is what's in creation. So they're attributing to God these physical this physical body, these emotions. But ultimately we know that, that God is the author of scripture and he superintended the authors so that while they may not have, again, they didn't comprehend who God is, but they knew something of him and what they said was sufficient because God is using it to convey something of who he is for us as finite creatures. Analogical. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, God condescends to us. And not, not the negative connotation of condescension that we're, we use probably on a daily basis or just in our normal talk. But it's, yeah, God has crossed that creator creature barrier to communicate something of himself to us. So that we, it's, it's uh, Calvin talking about like God speaking baby talk to us. Um, we can't fathom the knowledge of God and yet he's revealed saving knowledge to us by creaturely means, by, by his prophets. He speak, he, they truly speak the word of God but in a creaturely way so that we can understand. Um, another way to say it is that God accommodates his revelation for creatures but I think condescending really helps. Yeah, Definitely. Any other mysteries that we could solve today, <laughs> which we're never going to solve? <laughs> sure, yeah. So general revelation is how God has revealed himself in, in creation. Um, again, we, can, we could see his divine attributes in creation. The Psalms are replete with the same sort of attribution that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, Psalm 19. Um, but then special revelation in particular is God saving, revealing himself to us savingly. 
And today we primarily have that in his word, in the scriptures, in the scriptures proclaimed through the preaching of the gospel, and our visible word, which is the sacraments, which confirm the preached word. For the, for the saints in days past, like, like in Hebrews 1, um, long ago and many times and in many ways, God has spoken to us by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So we have a clearer, we have a clearer special revelation than they had, but they had the same thing, just a little, little more. The, the mystery was still there. How is God going to bring about the Messiah and redeem his people? They looked ahead. Abraham had enough that Jesus could say that Abraham um, looked ahead to my day and saw and was glad. Even though he didn't have the New Testament, he, didn't have, he, doesn't, he doesn't look back like we do. He, he looked ahead in faith. Um, was, that, was, that, was that enough? Or? Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Well, if that's it, then I'll, I'm going to read one more passage for us that ties in again what I've been talking about and what Pastor Bill preached today, which is, if, you want, if you'd like to turn with me to Ephesians 2, or I'm sorry, Philippians 2, Philippians 2. And we'll read verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that... At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This incomprehensible, simple creator of us all, this our, the Lord our God, he didn't, he didn't throw away his incomprehensibility, but he became knowable to us by becoming flesh and blood, body and rational soul, so that he can, we can truly know God. We can truly know God. And in the new heaven and new earth, when we see him face to face and he wipes away every tear, we won't see the Father as a spirit. We will see the Father and the Spirit through the glorified Son. Because if we see Jesus, we see the Father. So we can truly know him, though confess something we don't comprehend. Um, so with that, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to contemplate who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for sending your son, becoming flesh and blood like us and redeeming us. I pray that you would continue to be with us and that everything we do the rest of this day would be glorifying to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you.